But we're going to talk out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a great, great scripture. And I think we read it often too quickly and we don't digest it. So we're going to digest it this morning. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Who does that? Who does that? So let's pray. Father, thank you for this word you have on my heart today. I thank you, God, that you're just going to speak to us however you see fit. Lord, we trust you for this day, for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we were traveling this past week. As, As you know, we were not here last Sunday, though I was so fascinated by the fact that 30,000 feet in the air, I was able to watch you all on Facebook Live. It's pretty cool. I I was like so, I I totally shows my age because I was like way too jazzed about that. (laughs) Like I was so excited. I I was even like, I was texting Ray during service like, oh my gosh, I'm texting you from the air. It's just crazy to me. Mind boggling. So I was just enjoying the service with you guys and and singing along and I had my earbuds in and and the neighbor next to me was probably like, what is she doing? I didn't care. I was just enjoying the service. So I know you guys had a great time last week, but uh, we were on our way to Washington, D.C., and so we spent some time there in D.C. this past week. We are a part of Christians United for Israel, which is a great organization. If you're not a member, I want to encourage you to become a member. Just go on their website. We've got 7 million members in Kufi. And many of you are members of it. And so if you're not, join it. It's a great organization. We're just trying to uh, bridge that gap between Christians and Jews. We want the Jewish people to know we love them, we stand with them, we support them. And so what we do at this summit every year is uh, we we have all these different speakers that come and and join us. We had Vice President Mike Pence was with us. We had Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He was sharing with us. We had all kinds of speakers. And then the next day, thousands of people, literally, we go to Capitol Hill and every state across the nation is represented. And so everybody meets with their state senator and with their congressman. And so we always have three pieces of legislation that we are, we are encouraging them to sign on for. And so I have to tell you the story. It's funny. So we, uh, you know, being in California, we know that California is a pretty liberal state. And so a lot of times when we go and share different things of interest to Christians, it's not necessarily an interest to our Californian reps. I'll just say it like that. And so a lot of times when we go, they kind of just, you know, they're nice, but they kind of humor us. (laughs) Like, yeah, we'll hear what you have to say, but probably not going to make the changes. Um, But that's okay. We plant seeds anyway. And so this past week, we had an opportunity to meet with Senator Kamala Harris's office. And if you, know, if, you, if you follow politics at all, you know that she is trying to run for the Democratic nominee. And so um, we meet with her staffer because she wasn't there. So we met with her staffer. And there's a lot of us from California. And we're all crammed into this space. And, and, and so Joey opens up the, the, you know, the, the talk. And he has some, somebody else share the legislative points and go through the whole thing. And so Joey comes back to close the session out to thank the staffers for listening to us. And so he says, thank you for your time. Please wish... Kamala, and he pauses, and you know, normally you would say, I I hope she has a great campaign, I hope she's successful. He says, I hope she has a safe campaign. (laughs) And I said, later I said, you said, you wished her a safe campaign. He goes, well, what, I can't lie, I don't want her to win, but I want her to be safe. (laughs) Okay, so we hope she has a safe campaign, yeah. 
Oh boy. Anyway, that's enough politics. I will not go into it with you for today. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that for Joey. But you know, as I've been traveling this past week, you might be thinking, where's Joey? Did you leave him in D.C.? No, I did not leave him in D.C. Uh, he is actually in Roseville this morning ministering at the church that he accepted the Lord at 22 years ago. So he is there this morning ministering the word to them. So he sends his love, of course, and he'll be with us next week. Um, but as I was traveling, you know, we've been going so much, I finally sat down to, to prepare for today. And I was like, Lord, what do you want me to share? What do you want us to hear this week? And I really felt something as simple as this drop in my spirit. I really feel that God wants us to have more faith. He just said, I want them to have more faith. And I thought, well, I need more faith. So if I need more faith, you all have to come along the ride today with me on this journey to get more faith. I need a greater faith. I need a faith that is steadfast, that is steady, that is strong, that doesn't waver based on my circumstances. I need a faith that is, is, is going to look at any obstacle and is going to look at any mountain and is going to have the audacity to tell that mountain to move. I need that kind of faith. Uh, but what happens is if you're like me, we tend to focus on those weak areas that we have. We'll focus on the things that we don't have, the, the places where we are not successful, and we might speak the faith, and it's important to do that, but we don't always believe the faith that we're speaking. And so it brings us to the scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul is saying three times, I'm pleading with the Lord to take this thing from me, uh, but, but God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul says, I delight in my weaknesses. He says, I delight in my hardships. Who has ever said, I delight in my weaknesses? Yeah. Yay, I'm weak. Nobody has ever said that. But Paul did in scripture. This verse is so contrary to how we live today. We don't admit our weaknesses, let alone boast about our weaknesses, right? We do everything we can to cover up our weak areas. Ladies, we're really good at this. Like when I, know, when I know that I'm speaking for the whole day, I'm like, I need the most comfortable, flowiest thing because I'm not about to be trying to suck my stomach in front of you all. <laughs> I, I, I can handle it on a regular Sunday, but not today, right? We've got to cover up those weak areas because we've all got them. Weak places, places that make us feel uh, a little less victorious than we'd like to. Places that make us feel like we're never going to get it together like the together people have it together, right? Especially, ladies, we, are, we, we focus and beat ourselves up daily on the weak areas that we battle in our life. So I wonder if I were to sit down and ask you today, what are your weak areas? Uh, are you battling addiction this morning? Is that your weakness? Are you battling insecurity? Always worried about what everybody's thinking about you. Are you? Is that your weakness today? Do you have difficulties in your marriage? Is that your weakness? Is there a financial situation that's got you feeling weak? Is there a, a temper that falls out of control? And that has you feeling weak today. But the great thing, and I love to share this when I can, is this privilege that we have as believers. Lots of privileges as believers, but one of them this morning is that as a, as a believer, you don't have to let those weak spots get the best of you. You get to watch God use them for his glory. God can take that bad habit that has become a weakness, and he can set you free from its grip, and that displays God's glory. 
When God takes that sickness out of your body, that displays God's glory. When God uh, gives you, a, 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 you're slow to anger and that temper leaves you and you're quick and you're patient now all of a sudden, that's God displaying his power over your life. So today, like Paul, let's boast that we're weak vessels I don't know about you, but I need the power of God to rest on me. I need his strength to rest on me. So rather than sit around and talk about all the amazing things that we do, and you do some amazing things, maybe let's share our weak areas and watch God come in and display his power. How powerful is it to be able to say, in my messed up life, God came in and he displayed his power. When I was at the end of my rope, God came in and he displayed his power. When I needed God to intervene in my children's life, he came in and he displayed his power. When my finances were in reversal, God came in and he displayed his power. When my heart was broken from betrayal, God came in and he displayed his power. There is power in weakness. There is power in brokenness. Why? Because everything that's broken is subject to restoration. If you've got something broken this morning, it is subject to be restored. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, in our weakness, God is strong. And the greatest move that we can make is to simply accept God's grace. Is God's grace an excuse to stay in our weak spot? No, of course it's not. But grace is God showering his love over us in the midst of our weak place. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31 says, if God's for you, who can be against you? The scripture doesn't say, when you get your weak places under control, then I'll be for you. No, it says, if God's for you, who can be against you, right? It goes on to say that we're more than conquerors. I, I'd be happy to just be a conqueror. But scripture says, I am more than a conqueror. The smallest drop of God's strength is more than enough to cover my frailty and my shortcomings, those places that we consider ourselves to be so weak. You know, as God's grace flows over us, we will begin to realize that we are strong. We are strong because we're dependent on the only one sufficient enough to cover us throughout this process. You know, this is a journey of life, and you've got to go through life with a covering. You've got to be covered and this is a great covering to have, the covering of grace. You know, our relationships, they might not be sufficient for you, right? Your circumstances may not be sufficient. Your confidence might not be sufficient to get you through what you need to get through. Your self-control might not be sufficient to help you through that weak spot. Uh, your finances may not be sufficient, but God is, and he has been, and he forever will be. That's why his word says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. It's so great. If I have no weak areas, then I have no room for God to show off in. If I've got it all figured out, and I've got everything under control, then how do I have room for God to come in and display his power? If there's nothing in my life that's causing me to, to get down onto my knees and ask God for intervention, then where is God going to show his glory, right? We've got to look at it like that. You know, I love the book of Zechariah. It's in the Old Testament. 
I've used this passage of scripture before a couple of years back, uh, and I'm, I'm revisiting it again today because I find myself personally kind of in a similar situation as this story tells, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. So the book of Zechariah, there's this miracle formula that I believe God wants to get deep into our spirits. This will help us overcome obstacles. This will help us look at our mountains and tell them to move. This will help us in our weaknesses. So Zechariah, he was a prophet, and he ministered to the people of Jerusalem after their return from exile in Babylon. Now at this time, Zerubbabel, he was the governor during this time, and he desired to rebuild the temple after it lying dormant for years and years. So Zechariah was the prophet that came and encouraged Zerubbabel on this journey of rebuilding. So let's read in Zechariah chapter 4. Excuse me. It says, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. How do you move it? Grace. Grace. There's a few different types in the Bible uh, of grace. There is a, a saving grace. There's a justifying grace. There's a teaching grace. But this morning, I want to talk about that enabling grace. There is a sustaining grace that is available to us today. And in our scripture text of the morning from 2 Corinthians, Paul is sharing about this enabling grace. He's telling us that he had been given a thorn in his side, he calls it. We don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a physical ailment. We don't know if it was a mental ailment that he was fighting. I I personally think it was. Um, We don't know what his issue was. But whatever it was, God did not remove it from him. Scripture is clear. Paul says, God is not removing this from me. And that's where God comes in and tells him, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So rather than take that weakness from Paul, God sustained him to walk through it. And sometimes, you know, God does miracles in an instant. And that's great. And we rejoice and we're so excited about it. Um, But then other times the miracle is that sustaining grace that God gives you that helps you walk through the obstacle that's before you. That's why in Hebrews 4.16 it says, let us come boldly before that throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. There is a place that you can get to where God's grace comes upon you. And that is before his throne. Now, going to God's throne, it doesn't guarantee an immediate answer. Sometimes going to God's throne is simply so you can have that grace poured into you to get through your situation and not necessarily out of it. So another privilege we have as believers is we get to approach God's throne whenever you want to. You don't have to wait for a priest to do it. You don't have to wait for somebody to walk you to it. You just go there. God, I'm before you. I'm before your throne. It's a privilege as a believer. But you have to know that as you're approaching that precious throne in prayer, know that regardless of your answer, God's enabling grace will come on you. It will empower you to conquer those mountains and the adversity and the giants in your life. 
And that's what got a hold of Zerubbabel in our story. He sees that the nation and the city had been leveled. And he goes in and he says, I'm going to rebuild this temple. I love that he starts with the house of God. He didn't have to do that. He was the governor. He could have started anywhere to build. But he starts with the house of God. There's power in that. And so he begins to lay this foundation for the temple. And so starts this great miraculous project. But instantly we're told in verse 7 that a mountain came up before him. We don't know what the mountain was, but a mountain came up in the middle of this project. And so he begins to say, who is this mountain? Who are you? He begins to talk to the mountains in his life. You know, Mark chapter 11 tells us to speak to those mountains in your life. Jesus himself says, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. That's the kind of faith I want. The faith that when I say move it, I believe it to be done. I don't second guess God's handiwork. That's the kind of faith that we need. Because mountains represent problems, right? Mountains represent weak areas. Mountains represent things in our lives that have come to stop us and hinder us and ultimately try to defeat us. So when the mountain popped up in in Zerubbabel's life, he didn't let the mountain intimidate him. He began to speak to it. And that's what Jesus says we should do. Who are you, O mountain? Identify yourself. You know, it's important, you guys, that we identify what is trying to attack us. You gotta put a name to it. It's not a lack of faith putting a name to it. It's It's faith to put a name to it because when I put a name to my mountain, now I can declare that mountain's gotta move. So are, are you a mountain of sickness this morning? You've got to go. Are you a mountain of, of addiction? What is your name? Because I'm casting you out of my life. Are you a mountain of fear? I'm telling you, you've got to go in the name of Jesus. Are you a mountain of insecurity? You're going to have to go too. I put a name to it. Whatever that mountain is, name it. Name that sucker. Put a name on it because you can easily cast out something that you name. It's important to do that. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online with us this morning, and you started off strong. God began this great miracle, but now you're facing this mountain, and it it tells you to give up. You tried already, and you failed. Just give up. Throw in the towel. Don't do it again. You've got to know this morning that you serve a God who doesn't just give you saving grace, although that would be enough. He doesn't just give you justifying grace, though that would be enough. He doesn't just give you teaching grace, though that would be enough, but he gives you enabling grace, a grace that will sustain you through that difficult season as you're watching that mountain be chopped down. Thank God for his enabling grace, grace that smooths that mountain out. Turn to your neighbor and say, things are about to smooth out. Smooth operator. I was going to sing another song, but my oldest daughter said not to because that would be secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> secondhand embarrassment, that's a thing, evidently. So as, out of respect for you, Joey Kate Steelman, no secondhand embarrassment this morning. So if we go on in Zechariah chapter 4, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of the Rubabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. I love it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. For who has despised the day of small things? 
Now at this part of scripture, some time had passed since the foundation was laid. No further progress had been made. And Zerubbabel, he's frustrated. He's hopeless. Nothing has been happening for years. And the dream of finishing the temple is fading away. But I've got to remind somebody this morning, just as Zechariah came to remind Zerubbabel, I've got to remind you that God has never started anything he does not have the power to finish. He, he hasn't. But the question is, can he find somebody that will hang in there long enough? Somebody that will hold on until God makes the way where there is no way. You guys, we quit too soon. We give up too quick. We throw in the towel. We walk away from miracles before God's able to do what he intended to do. Sometimes you've got to sit still and say, you know what? Doggone it, I'm going to stand strong when I feel like nothing is happening. I'm going to stay firm. I'm not going to despise the small beginnings. I'll be faithful in the small things. If you hold on to what God started uh, through the times when obstacles come in your life, there will be a point when God's set time will arrive. There is a set time for every purpose under heaven, Scripture tells us. But if you quit too soon, you're not going to get to that set time. Some of you, you've been holding on and you're, you're looking at this frustrating mountain. And yes, God started the dream and now it looks like it's disappeared. And the prophet comes to Zerubbabel in those discouraging moments and he says, Thus says the Lord, begin again, keep going because you're going to finish it with your own hands. And I believe God says the same thing to us. Begin again. I know you tried before. But begin again. I know your faith is shaken, but believe again. I know you're weary from the journey, but step again. I know you question if you heard God, but listen again. Dream again. Hope again. Pray again. Praise again. Get your expectation up again. Just one more time. Do it again, one more time. God is going to finish what he started, but it takes our faith saying, okay, I'm going to begin again. I'm going to begin again. Now, I love this part of the scene because we get to verse 7, and it says, bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So, so, so Zechariah tells Zerubbabel to go get the capstone, the headstone. Now, the headstone was the last piece of a building project. And so when they would build something, they would always save that last stone for the, for the celebration. And they would place that last stone in the building and they would all have a, a celebration service to declare that it was completed. And so here, Zechariah is telling Zerubbabel to go and get this stone and put it on the project. But remember, all he has is a foundation. You've seen an abandoned building site before. There's weeds everywhere. There's uh, scraps lying around, metal, there's stones everywhere. This is what Zerubbabel is looking at. It's an abandoned building site. And the prophet is saying, I want you to get that headstone and I want you to put it on that site and I want you to shout grace, grace to it. In other words, that headstone represents Jesus Christ. He is our completion. The Bible says that he is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the stone that cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when you get focused on that stone, you get focused on the fact that if God started it, he is going to finish it. So getting that headstone represents that completed job. If Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, then sometimes we have to, in faith, get things that show we believe God's going to complete that job. 
Oftentimes when we're talking to couples that are going through infertility and they're believing God for a child, uh, we tell them in the process of believing while you're waiting for that miracle to be made manifest, we always tell them, get your baby's room ready. Get the crib ready. Get, get baby clothes in there. You prepare for that miracle. You, you get that completion ready. It's, it's an act of faith. And that's what Zechariah is telling Zerubbabel to do here. He's saying this is an act of faith. So I imagine Zerubbabel, he goes to pick up that stone and he's holding it and he thinks, this is so stupid. There's no money. There's no permits. This job is barren. There's nothing happening. And yet I'm supposed to put a headstone on this unfinished project. This is crazy. So he picks it up and he half-heartedly just says, grace. And, and Zechariah is like, no, I didn't say to say grace. I said to shout grace. All right. So he, he picks up that stone again and he shouts at it, grace. No, no, I didn't tell you to shout it one time. I told you to shout it two times. And so I, I don't know. I like to imagine how this played out in my mind. And so I can just picture at this moment Zerubbabel's got to be thinking, all right, Zechariah, he's, he's not led me astray before. There's got to be something to this. And so I picture that Zerubbabel kind of gets his shoulders squared a little bit. And he, he gets a little bit more confident as he picks up that stone one more time. And he finally, with all the faith he can muster up, he looks at that stone and he says, grace, grace. And as soon as he shouts, grace, grace, with faith in his heart, you have to know that provision began to come from everywhere. I mean, here came the construction workers, here come the mason workers, here comes resources, permits, everything that he needed just started coming quickly and that project was finished. Why? Because grace came in. Because grace came in. Faith came in in the form of grace. We all know what it's like to stand in the incomplete phase of something right? We all can agree. We've been there. You might be there right now. I have a feeling many of you are there right now, or I wouldn't be sharing this today. You know how it feels to have God start something in your life, and then this mountain pops up, and it feels like nothing is happening, whether it's in regards to a dream that God gave you, a ministry he wants you to do, a family member that you're praying for, a marriage that you believe in God to restore, a weakness that you're trying to overcome. We've all felt stuck in that incomplete phase. But God is showing us through this passage that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's only by the Spirit of God that anything can be accomplished in our lives. So if we get our focus off that mountain and back onto Jesus and we start speaking to that unfinished project and we shout grace, grace at it, you've got to know that enabling grace will come upon you. And when that enabling grace comes upon you, it empowers you to do things you never thought you could do. Enabling grace empowers you to walk through the most difficult of situations that you never dreamed you could walk through. And it's God's sustaining grace that walks you through it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Shouting grace causes your faith to begin to rise. And, and you all know faith is the currency of heaven. And so I believe so much that when, when God sees our faith begin to rise, that's when answers begin to come. I, I just imagine when our faith starts to rise, I just picture God dispatching orders for his angels. Go take care of this for them. Go take care of this for them. Demons begin to tremble because a believer that has faith, oh, 
I don't believe the devil's afraid of believers. I don't think he is afraid at all. But when a believer's got faith, that's a different story. When a believer's got faith, that's a different story. You know, when you know God's given you a vision and an obstacle has come to tell you that it can't happen, you don't let the mountain talk you out of your miracle, right? Don't let that mountain talk you out of that miracle. You open your mouth and you say to that mountain, grace, grace, move it. I know I can't defeat you in my own strength and power, but newsflash, I don't fight my own strength and power. I fight with the blood of Jesus, and that blood contains grace. It contains grace. So I'll ask you one more time this morning as we close out our, our morning together, what are those weak areas that you're fighting today? What are your obstacles? What are your unfinished miracles? You know, the great thing as believers, another privilege we have is we don't fight these battles on our own. God fights those battles with you. He fights them for you. Grace can deliver you. How many of you, by a show of hands, you've got a mountain you need leveled? You're facing a mountain, you need God to just level it. All right. Well, you've got to remember that the scripture said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Everything God does, it begins with a small seed. Small beginnings. You know, we can relate to that because sometimes we feel small, don't we? Sometimes we feel that we don't really qualify for God to conquer our mountain. Oh, I think he'll conquer their mountain. But I, I, I don't know that he'll conquer mine because we feel small. Growing up in, in an abusive, alcoholic home, it made me feel small. My first memories of insecurity are in kindergarten. I vividly remember kindergarten is uh, where that root took hold in my life, and I just felt so small, so worthless. I felt embarrassed of who I was. I was embarrassed of my family situation and my clothes, and I felt so ugly and so ashamed, and that root took hold as a little five-year-old girl. And that root stayed with me for a lot of years, a lot of, a lot of my, as I grew into an adult. Everything I did was out of that root because I felt small. I was having a conversation a, about 10 years ago now with a, a well-respected pastor. He was an older gentleman, much older than me. And I was sharing my story with him. I was sharing with him how my mom was 14 years old when she uh, became pregnant with me how at the age of 16 she married my dad because she just had no other choice, and how he became very abusive towards us and, and ruined our childhood. And I was sharing this with him, and he said to me, wow, you were a statistic waiting to happen. And, and I know that he meant it as a compliment because obviously I didn't become that statistic, and I, and I know he meant well. But I have to tell you, in that moment, I didn't take it as a compliment. Because it was in that moment that I realized what everybody thought of me growing up as a kid. What everybody thought of me as a teenager. They thought, oh, she'll, poor thing. She'll just be a statistic waiting to happen. You know, I'm in my, I have kids now, so I'm in their world and I know their friends. And I know their friends' families and I, you know, I know what their situations are like. And so I, I know that when I was a kid, my friends' parents were probably aware of me and feeling sorry for me and thinking that poor girl, she'll never amount to anything. It's a wonder if she'll make it. You know, I was on the same path as my mom. That's where I was headed. But then I met Jesus at 14. And when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. You're not small anymore. You're not small anymore. So I can now look at people that once thought, like the story of Zerubbabel. They're saying to Zerubbabel, whoever doubted you would finish this project. 
I can say to people, whoever doubted that I would get to become anything, whoever doubted that this little broken girl at five years old would ever amount to anything, where are you that doubted me then? Because God has turned my life into something great. And God says the same for you. Who doubted you? Who has said about you, oh, they'll never amount to anything. They'll never get that business going. They'll never be successful at that. Where are your doubters? Because with God on your side, you can do anything. You're limitless. You're limitless. You know what? Sometimes you got to stop beating yourself up and say, you know what? I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I've come a long way. We've all got work to do. I know. But we've come a long way. Be proud of yourself. If God began a good work in you, and scripture says that he did, if God began a good work in you, then nothing can stop that work from accomplishing what God has destined for you to do. I'm going to say that one more time because that is good. If God began a good work in you, then nothing can stop that work from being accomplished. That destiny that God has already set forth for you, nothing can stop it from being fulfilled. No setback, no mistake that you've made, no negative word that's been said over you, no financial catastrophe. Nothing can stop God's work from being accomplished in your life if you will allow him to work. In God's work, the day of small things is not to be despised. Though the instruments be weak and unlikely, God often chooses such people to bring about great things. I love that about God, that he's so restorative, that he's so redeeming, that he takes the most unlikely people and he uses them to do great things. Though your beginnings might be small, God can make the latter end so much greater than the beginning. The day of small things is the day of precious things, and it will be the day of great things. So today I want to encourage you to join me in this. Instead of wallowing in our weak places, let's let the Spirit reveal to us that one positive step that we can take today, just one. Let's allow God to just wash away the condemnation that we battle with the warmth of His grace and, and receive his power. And let's rename that weak area. Let's rename that my strong place. Because when I'm weak, God is strong. Right? Would you stand with me this morning as we close our time today? If I have no weak areas in my life, then I've got no room for God to show his power off. My weak place is my strong place. And it's yours too. I want you, for a moment, if you wouldn't mind, closing your eyes, and I want you to picture the incomplete thing in your mind. Whatever it is that's incomplete for you today, if it's your, a family member, a son or a daughter, that there's an incomplete part that you're believing God for. Maybe it's a business deal. Uh, maybe it's a marriage that's falling apart. Maybe it's a dream that you know God gave you, and it's, it's lying dormant. Maybe it's a weak area in your life. You're trying, it's just so hard to kick this battle and you just keep getting sucked back into it. I want you to get that thing in your mind. Now listen, you've got to know that God began a good work in you and he's faithful to complete it. And mountains, they've come to discourage you. But this morning, I want you to get these words, grace, grace, down in your spirit because words are multipliers. Whatever you speak, it multiplies. 
So we've got to become grace shouters and let it become part of our prayer life. Walk into your weakness with an assurance that God's enabling grace is with you.